You're listening to a classic business podcast as heard on Classic 1027. 1027. COVID-19 isn't the world's first pandemic and it certainly won't be the last. And the issue of vaccine access continues to rage. The AIDS Healthcare Foundation continues its global Vaccinate Our World call to action with the virtual press conference that it held in Joburg recently to urge world leaders and vaccine manufacturers and public health organizations to vow to protect humanity by providing equal access to COVID-19 vaccines worldwide, particularly in lower income countries. Now we know the US has backed India and South Africa's bid to temporarily lift patent protection for COVID-19 vaccines. The support for an IP waiver by the WTO has left pharma companies dismayed and health activists asking for more. Public health activists say that the easing of patent protections on COVID-19 vaccines will allow drug makers in poorer countries to start production of effective vaccines sooner and uh, speed up the end of the pandemic, which if allowed to rage, could see the emergence of vaccine-resistant COVID variants. Now, the proposal was vehemently opposed by the previous US administration and other wealthy nations like Britain and the EU, who say that a ban uh, would stifle innovation at pharmaceutical companies by robbing them of the incentive to make huge investments in research and development. This, they argue, would be especially counterproductive during the current pandemic, which needed drug makers to remain on their toes to deal with the mutating virus. Uh, we uh, recently discussed this on a panel uh, who were saying that trips uh, should not be waived. Now I'm joined by a panel of health activists uh, to hear why they believe this is in fact the way to go. Professor Jeffrey Mpahlekle, who is Vice President for Research at the South African Medical Research Council. He's also a member of the Ministerial Advisory uh, Committee on COVID-19 vaccines, uh, the National Advisory Group on Immunization and the National Task Force for Laboratory Containment of Polio Virus, Alan Maleche, who's Executive Director of uh, Kellen and the Board Member for Developing Country NGOs of the Global Fund Board from Kenya, and Dr. Penina Lutung, Bureau Chief of AHF Africa from Uganda. Uh, Dr. Litting, let's kick it off with you. Uh, you held a press conference recently in South Africa talking uh, about the need to uh, increase awareness uh, through this VAL campaign. Tell me a little bit more about AHF and how the VAL campaign works. Thank you very much and uh, thank you distinguished panel. Uh, it is a good opportunity for us to you know, highlight this very important call to action. For AHF, the Vaccinate Our, Our World campaign, which in short is VAL, is really a call to ensure that the whole world gets vaccinated and not some proportion of it only because we know that this virus is going to continue for as long as only a part of the world is vaccinated. Uh, just a brief as, as introduction, AHF is a global not-for-profit organization. Um, we work in 45 countries across the globe taking care of about 1.5 million people living with HIV and AIDS in collaboration with national governments and uh, partners. And of those, of those 45 countries, 39 Africa. And, you know, I think you can hear from our name, AHF, why all of a sudden are we talking about COVID? But we should not forget that AIDS is another pandemic that is still ongoing. And so with this COVID pandemic, it's given us the opportunity to draw and to, on the lessons from the AIDS pandemic and how that was managed. We know that in the 90s when, you know, AIDS was ravaging most of Africa, most of sub-Saharan Africa, the developing world at that time, the developed world, sorry, at that time, had already you know, had access to life-saving ARV medications. But that access was totally limited for Africans. It was just not available. It was extremely expensive. And people were dying across the board. And part of the reason why those drugs were not available, apart from just pharma greed, 
is the fact that um, you know we didn't, there were no patent waivers at that point in time to allow for the manufacture of more affordable generic medications. And we see that when that became, when patents were waived, you know, India was able to produce, India and a number of other countries were able to produce these medications, generic medications, at a much more affordable, uh, you know, price that has allowed many Africans to be saved. Now, the same lessons, we see that history is repeating itself with the COVID pandemic, because, you know, Africa at this point in time is left behind when it comes to vaccination. I think from most of the figures, about only um, two out of every 100, most countries is about two out of every 100 people have been vaccinated. In a number of countries, the frontline health workers, only one third have been vaccinated. And so Africa, again, is being left behind. And we know the dynamics uh, of, of, of this pandemic. You see that the mutations are quite faster. And so if we continue to see that the West, you know, that has, you know, in some situations, some mm. countries like Canada have hoarded about five times the amount of vaccines they need. UK, the same thing. You know, why do they need to hoard so many vaccines? Yet, you know, another part of the world, you know, does need those vaccines. So the, the vaccine hoarding that is taking place with the lack of the patent, patent waivers that would allow quicker and faster manufacturing of vaccines to be availed in the, in the developing world, we are not going to see an end to this uh, mm. pandemic. And that's why for AHF, this is a very important call. Uh, for us to ensure that the world, you know, the whole world is vaccinated. Mm. And, so you know, we have five... So thank you. We've got hoarding just on that point on the one side uh, and we've also got the patent waiver as another issue on the other side. Let's just, Alan, bring you in on the patent waiver issue. As I said in my introduction, uh, pharmaceutical manufacturers uh, have uh, come out against us to say that they've invested heavily in R&D uh, to get the vaccine rolled out in a record time, you know, just under one year through the various trials, and that we need to ensure that some form of protection remains in place to ensure that uh, investors uh, who invest money into developing the, these vaccines continue to invest for future pandemics, because this certainly won't be the last pandemic. What do you make of those who are critical against the patent waiver? Thank you for having me on the show today, and I think it's important for us to remember uh, what happened in the history of HIV when people said generic medicines were too expensive to make, they would make uh, patent holders lose out on profits. And this is exactly the same thing that is playing with COVID. Those who have developed vaccines actually received support from governments and public funds to be able to do the research. And so it is not right for them to hold back and say, let us keep a trip, let's, let's keep trips in place and let's avoid the waiver. The reason why trips was put in place was actually to come to play during a public emergency such as this one to be able to allow for the greater good to thrive. And so it is important that we get unanimous support at the World Trade Organization on all countries accepting to a trips waiver that would allow for transfer of technology know-how that will lead to local production of vaccines and eventual vaccination of people. And I think we've learned from rotavirus, from influenza, and other viral uh, diseases that have actually allowed for people to locally manufacture vaccines, is that the more you have the knowledge locally, the more you produce it locally, the more people will get vaccinated and the more will defeat the pandemic. Otherwise, as Dr. Penina has said, no one is safe until you deal with the pandemic because if you only vaccinate your people, 
they will not be staying alone in their countries. They will have to travel. It's a global village. And the way to go is to ensure that we empower other countries to be able to manufacture the vaccines. We cannot only rely on India. We know the challenge India is facing now. This is the time to empower other countries and the African CDC and the African Union have actually demonstrated that it is possible to have this to happen in other parts of Africa for local vaccine manufacturing to happen. And this will not only benefit COVID, it will benefit other vaccines that need to be developed in the future and help people access mm. healthcare. Over to you. Is that possible, Alan, just to follow up on that? Is it realistic in the African context in terms of access to things like raw materials, capacity, uh, manufacturing facilities, IP, and the, that kind of tech transfer and know-how? That's often raised as a key stumbling block uh, by pharma companies to say, well, we could weigh patents tomorrow, but we just don't have the, the capability to uh, produce these en masse in Africa. It's very possible to produce these vaccines in Africa, and that's why we say... It's not only the waiver that's important, the waiver has to come with the transfer of technology and the know-how of how to develop the particular vaccine. We've got very good and equipped scientists in Kenya, uh, in Africa, and in major parts of other parts of the world who only need to be guided. And I think we've seen this in South Africa with the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. This can apply in Rwanda, this can apply in Morocco, and the African CDC and African Union actually have the ability to be able to pull together the skills. All we need is for the pharmaceutical companies to share this information as a matter of urgency if we all want to save lives. They have already made sufficient profits to be able to sustain them. It's now time to step up the game and ensure that everyone gets vaccines and gets vaccinated. Uh, Professor Mpahlekle, considering you serve as Vice Chair of the EDCTP General Assembly, whose responsibility it is to ensure that all of those activities are undertaken to ensure the objectives, and that's broad access to vaccines, and we've got the COVAX facility, we had the news recently that uh, because of what's going on in India, the Serum Institute will only really be able to meet its commitments to COVAX by year end. Uh, it, it doesn't appear that COVAX is delivering on its mandate. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, once again, thank, thanks for having me. Um, so, yes, I think um, it is important to highlight that uh, COVAX, uh, when was, uh, it was initially uh, established, the intention was, um, was excellent. Uh, however, it is diluted uh, by the fact that a number of high-income high countries are now, um, mono I would say, monopolizing uh, the vaccines at, at this stage uh, because uh, we have seen what happened. Uh, so it's not just about protecting a certain proportion uh, of their of their population, and then making uh, the rest of the vaccines available uh, to to the rest of the uh, the world. Um, it's really about um, you know monopolizing the vaccines and um, trying to vaccinate everybody uh, in their own countries because uh, you can see that uh, now they would like to even include um, the, the the group that is not at high risk. Uh, like, um, you know, the children. And um, they also want to do a second round of vaccination um, later on uh, because uh, they are holding on, uh, you know, a lot of stock uh, of uh, the vaccines. They pre-ordered and they continue uh, to, to order more vaccines. So obviously this weakens um, the COVAX uh, facility uh, because uh, COVAX is dependent on limited number of um, vaccine developers. Um, worldwide. 
and uh, the largest producer, which is uh, India. Uh, you have, we know what is happening, as other people have indicated. Uh, so if um, the other vaccine manufacturers uh, do not contribute to COVAX, it simply means that um, you know, the rest of the uh, countries that are dependent uh, on COVAX will not be able to get um, the proportion of the vaccines uh, that um, you know, they, they are waiting to get from COVAX facility. So in a way, um, it is really important you know, for uh, vaccine developers, for the high income countries uh, to really collaborate and uh, partner with COVAX facility uh, for the rest of the world uh, to get uh, the vaccines. I just thought uh, I should uh, really uh, emphasize that. Uh, but the second point that I just want to bring on the table uh, is the fact that even though we are making this argument in the context of uh, the African region, uh, clearly it applies you know, to the rest of the developing world. Uh, it's not just about Africa, uh, it's about the rest of the world. Uh, so the emphasis here is not just you know, making an argument to have access uh, to, 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 uh, to IP, to patents, um, uh, to tech transfer and the know-how uh, for the African region but for the developing you know, world. So that uh, the countries that are able to uh, hit the ground running uh, when it comes to manufacturing the vaccines, they can use the technology and the, and, and the IP and everything uh, that is required to manufacture the vaccines and contribute you know, to developing the vaccines locally, regionally, and also contribute to the COVAX facility. Really, it is about, as uh, Professor Mpahlele said, about all of the developing world, but we're focusing on Africa, uh, ahead of Africa Day. Dr. Lotung, what does the picture look like on the ground? I mean, you're in East Africa at the moment in terms of vaccine rollout, so we know it's been extremely slow. What do you see as some of the major challenges besides just access to the vaccine? We know public health care facilities in Africa are underdeveloped. What do you see as some of the other barriers that need to be overcome? So of course, some of the key barriers we, we, we see, I would start with the community level barriers we see. Um, I think this is common knowledge across most of uh, Africa and you know, across the world. Social media, of course, has taken a hold. And with social media taking a hold, many individuals have used it you know, for, for the wrong reasons, I would say. Uh, so, you know, some of the misinformation that has come across regarding vaccines, you know, has really been out there even way before the vaccines were rolled in, in Africa. So you find that a lot of that information has penetrated the communities and it's led to some form of hesitancy, you know, from certain, you know, from, from different groups. But that said, I don't think it is as high as, you know, you know, compared to other regions. I think overall our history in Africa has been that people are very accepting of vaccines. We've always had mass vaccination programs across the board, but it's definitely, I would say, one of the barriers that has led to a slow implementation of the barriers, so, so of, of, the, of, the, of the vaccines. So we definitely need to improve on the knowledge regarding mm. uh, vaccines, you know, to ensure people have the right information right up to the community level. The other aspect, I would say, when it comes to the health workers themselves is just the limited number of health workers that we have, you know, that has always been a problem for, for most of Africa across the board. So the limitation in number of health workers, the training that has, you know, is needed, you know, for them to be able to vaccinate, you know, undertake such a mass vaccination uh, campaign that alone of course is you know the stringent needs really you know uh, they've been very you know that that has been one of the bigger barriers as well uh, when it comes to just the health workers and just 
you know, and then the logistics, of course, of getting these vaccines across the board. I think for now, uh, the fact that most of the vaccines we've received in Africa, majority of them are the ones that you can store, at, uh, you know, uh, you know, within a regular fridge temperature. So that's, in a way, that has helped. However, you know, we've also received a number of countries have received some batches of Pfizer. You know, South Africa has. Rwanda has as well, and those need much lower temperatures, and that can be limiting in terms of the reach where you can take that. So you find that a vaccine like that, you know, you may need to just utilize it in urban centers where maybe there are particular high-tech laboratories that can be able to store those vaccines. And so that's part of the limitation with, you know, the storage and the logistics of some of, of those. And then I'll say at, mm. a, at, a, at, you know, at a higher level, you know, within, uh, like at national level, I'll say the issue of funding for Africa is still a critical gap um, because it's not just a buy, about buying the vaccines. We are talking about, about you know, you, you know, the need for us to access these vaccines, but do we have the money apart from the COVAX facility? Most governments have also tried to put money aside to buy governments to buy vaccines directly on their own, but the resources are, are limited. We know that most of our health finance budget, our health finance budgets are, are much lower than they should be, and health has not been given a priority in many many settings in Africa. Mm. So you know, most countries have had to you know grapple around and get resources from other budget lines in order to ensure that vaccines are available. Some are even still borrow, are borrowing for this. For, for this uh, from the World Bank and other you know sources, so which which is really a, a bigger problem that we mm. also have to to be able to address. So those are some of the key mm. challenges you know that that we see, and um, but that may further impede our access uh, to. to I mean, funding is an important one, but I, I do think on a on a net net basis, uh, if you're borrowing to ensure that your economy can return back to some semblance of normal activity, uh, that that uh, one has to look at uh, any avenue possible at this stage to get economic. Growth growth going again, uh, but it is a very difficult situation. Professor Mpaklele, as Dr. Lutting has just um, described, many challenges, uh, not just waiving patents or, or, or stopping the hoarding that we're seeing in the developed world. Given that, what do you see as a realistic timeline for the rollout of the uh, the vaccine across Africa from, from where you sit? So in terms of the timeline, uh, we, we just need to be realistic uh, because um, uh, the, the pace at which uh, we are able to vaccinate um, our, our, our population um, is dependent uh, on availability of the vaccines. Uh, so you, you, can't, you can't put a timeline when you know that uh, you don't have uh, all the resources um, to vaccinate, especially access to the vaccines. Uh, so, but realistically, uh, if uh, the vaccines were available, I think uh, most African countries should be able to vaccinate at least you know 50 percent of their population um by mid uh, 2020 uh, 2022 uh, i don't think uh, it's going to be a realistic target uh, for this calendar year i think uh, it will take a while uh, before you know african countries are able to vaccinate enough population uh, close to uh, reaching herd immunity Mm. Um, but um, obviously, it could be that uh, we get more vaccines, and um, and 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 the pace uh, of vaccination improves. Uh, but uh, if it doesn't improve, uh, it's going at this slow rate. Uh, it could be that uh, we see this going towards the end of uh, next year. 
And there was some encouraging news as I uh, bounced it over to you, Alan. I think it was on the Pfizer vaccine, uh, trials indicating that it can be stored uh, in a bar um, fridge-type temperature for up to 30 days rather than just the five days in initially thought. So we are seeing breakthroughs as we go in terms of the logistical challenges and the limitations that are placed on many of these vaccines. Alan, your, your uh, view on a realistic time frame and then also just having a look on uh, the potential here and risks of new strains appearing uh, because the longer it takes and the longer we wait, it does seem that this uh, particular virus has an ability to mutate uh, rather alarmingly. Now, indeed, I think for the time frame, for me, two things come into mind. If we do get a TRIPS waiver approved by WTO very soon and we have increased local manufacturing, then definitely the dream of having at least half of the population in Africa or else in the world are vaccinated by mid next year is a possibility. If we equally have uh, people contributing more to the COVAX facility and the COVAX facility being able to roll out uh, uh, vaccines to the country, the countries being able to vaccinate, then again, we will see a shorter timeline in which we have more people vaccinated. But if these two things do not happen, we could be speaking years and years from now where a certain proportion and a fraction of the world will not have received vaccinations, whereas another side will have. And that then leads to the second point that you raise, that... The trick here is to vaccinate as many people as quickly as possible to be able to avert the issue of different strains that may be emerging from different regions. And the slower you vaccinate people, the chances are that you run the risk of getting people having strains that may not be effectively dealt with the vaccines that you're making. So you have to do further research to be able to get boosters or other versions that would be able to address this and that makes it more expensive. So the trick here is how do countries show global solidarity on health by ensuring that we have more vaccines available, we have more people vaccinated and actually we have strong healthcare systems of Dr. Penina said that are able to receive those vaccines and actually distribute them in an equitable manner to those who need them in form of priority so that we have a safer world, a safer global uh, village that allows us to be able to continue to interact because the iniquity and inequality we'll see is that one side will be more vaccinated and they'll start putting barriers. They'll say, before you come to see us, have a vaccine passport. Before you do X, Y, and Z, make sure you're vaccinated. But those vaccines may not be available to the other side that also needs to be able to travel or interact in day-to-day -day global interactions. And so that is the iniquity we are trying to fight and we are campaigning for saying vaccine, vaccinate our world. And that's the genesis of this particular campaign to say mm. you can't make progress if you don't make efforts to ensure that everyone across the globe is vaccinated. Uh, Alan, just to come back to you for a final comment as we've got a couple of minutes to go. I believe the next meeting of the WTO on this TRIPS issue is, uh, is next month. It's in June. We now have uh, the US administration that is uh, conditionally in favor of, of waiving uh, uh, TRIPS. Uh, how do you see this going? Is it a very technical issue that needs to be thrashed out along trade barriers and that kind of thing? Or is it merely political in terms of obstacles? How do you see this going? I personally see it as a political issue and an issue of self-interest by certain countries. And I think the U.S. has taken the right turn uh, before they were quite on the wrong side of history. 
but they have quickly made the right decision to push for a waiver. We have seen countries like Spain supporting, and I can see pressure going to the UK to also to be able to support. We know Germany has been strong to say, no, this may not work. And so for me, this is more political, and I think the African Union and the African heads of states must heavily weigh on this conversation at WHO if we want to see any progress in terms of getting trips away. Well, that was Professor Jeffrey Mpahletle, Vice President for Research at the South African Medical Research Council. He's also uh, a member of the Ministerial Advisory Committee on COVID-19 Vaccines, National Advisory Group on Immunisation and the National Task Force for Laboratory Containment of Polio Virus. Alan Maleche, Executive Director of Kellen and uh, the Board Member for Developing Country NGOs of the Global Fund Board from Kenya. And Dr. Penina Lutton, Bureau Chief of AHF Africa from Uganda.